Well, good morning. It's a real privilege to be here at Wheaton Bible Church. I uh, had the chance to be here about a year ago, as your pastor said, and um, actually met some of your staff folks and got to go see the good work that you're doing at Puente del Pueblo, uh, close up and personal, and that was terrific. Um, so I'm just so grateful to, to be among a church that cares about your community, that is externally focused, that wants to make a, a difference. Um, and so I praise and thank God for what he has been doing uh, through Wheaton Bible, what he is doing uh, in this city through Wheaton Bible. And my hope and prayer would just be that today would just be an encouragement to keep on uh, going deeper into Christ's uh, mission. Uh, one of the little power-packed verses in the, in the Old Testament that um, kind of summarizes God's desires for us is Micah 6.8. As many of you know, it says, uh, He has shown you, people, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Some theologians actually call this the great requirement. You know, you've got the, the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You've got the great commission given by Jesus at the end of the book of Matthew to go out and make disciples in all of, all of the world. Um, but, but Micah 6.8 has been called the great requirement. And what I love about the amazing grace and kindness of our Heavenly Father is that that which he requires of us is that which is good for us. What he requires of us is what's good for us. He says, he's shown you what's good. You want the good life? You want the good life? Walk humbly with me and join me on my mission of mercy, on my mission of justice in the world. There you will find goodness and, and gladness. Well, I've, I've loved Micah 6.8 for many, many years. I've often said that's my favorite verse and that probably it's going to be the one that's written on my, on my, on my tombstone. But, but in recent years, sort of a competitor verse has, uh, has, has risen, risen its head. And uh, it's that verse that I would invite you to turn to in the scriptures now, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the, to the book of Proverbs, the 11th chapter, because the sermon text for this morning is Proverbs 1110a. It's a little short verse, but like Micah 6.8, it's one of these verses that packs a huge vision in very, very few words. Proverbs 1110a says this, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Uh, this verse uh, became precious to me a number of years ago when I heard some remarks that Tim Keller made on it. Um, and he started off by mentioning that the verse should land on us counterintuitively at first. Counterintuitively. He says, in a city you're going to have many, many different groups of people. And this verse is suggesting that there is one group in the city and everything's going gangbusters for them. The, the Hebrew word there for prospering is that there's a group in the city and they're thriving, they're flourishing, they have health, wealth, status, achievement. 
Uh, they have power, they have influence, they have talent, they have opportunity, they have resources. Um, everything is going great for them. And everybody in the city is really happy about it. And Tim says, you know, that, that's, that's a little counterintuitive because in our fallen world, wouldn't it be easy to imagine a plausible scenario where some of the people in the city would be sort of jealous or disgruntled by the, the prospering of the, of the one group or, or the people kind of in the, in the bottom of society would be saying, oh, the rich just keep getting richer and the poor just keep getting poorer. But no, the verse says that everybody in the city is rejoicing. Well, Keller went on to explain that what, what makes the verse make sense is who it is that's prospering. And it's the righteous who are prospering. Now, the word for righteous there, here's your 50-cent word for today. You can go home and, and uh, uh, impress your neighbors with. Sadakim. When the Sadakim prosper, the city rejoices. The Sadakim there is translated in English usually the righteous or the just, but, but the English doesn't quite capture the power of this word, the Sadakim, because you see, the Sadakim are the, the people who are so passionately in love with God, so passionately committed to His purposes in the world that they view everything that they have been given. They view every blessing, every, every aspect of, of prosperity and blessing that God has showered upon them. They, they view all of that not as a means of self-enrichment, not as a means of self-aggrandizement, but, but they see all of this blessing as being meant to be poured out for others. See, the, the Sadakim steward their prosperity in a way that advances the common good. They steward everything that they have, their vocational talents and expertise, their opportunities, their education, their relationships, their social position. That They steward all of this to, to advance God's justice and his shalom for the, for the common good. In fact, Keller says that the ancient Hebrew lexicons indicate that the righteous in the book of Proverbs are, are, are those who are even willing to disadvantage themselves for the advantage of the community. Whereas the wicked in the book of Proverbs are consistently viewed as those who are always putting their own personal social and economic needs ahead of everyone else's. So you see, now the verse begins to make sense because if the people who are prospering are the sadakim, and they're sharing that prosperity, they're pouring out that prosperity to bring blessing to, to, to the rest of the city, then everyone would be rejoicing. Everyone's benefiting from the stewardship of the Sadakim. When the righteous prosper, their prosperity makes life better for everyone. And so everyone is rejoicing over it. Well, I was really captured by, by those remarks. Because I know I'm the prospering. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not Bill Gates and neither are you, but folks, we're the prospering. We, we've got more opportunity, more resources, more money, more educational opportunity than, you know, 95% of the rest of the world. And, and more than a lot of folks right here in our own community. We, we are the prospering. I am the prospering. And I found myself praying, Lord, 
make me a sadik. You see, it's possible, tragic, but possible, <laughs> to be the prospering, but not necessarily to be the sadakim. Well, I decided I would dig a little bit deeper into the verse because I was so captured by its vision, and I discovered something really important. The word rejoice, when the, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. That word rejoice is a very technical term. It's used only two times in the Old Testament. It describes a very particular kind of rejoicing. It, it describes the rejoicing that happens when a people have been under the thumb of oppression or under the, under the thumb of an enemy and God in his amazing love has intervened and has liberated the people and now there's this sort of sober but soul-soaring exaltation that they engage in. I, I, I usually like to tell people that I have this image of dancing in the streets on VE Day, the end of World War II in Paris. Th that's the kind of rejoicing we're, talk we're not talking about, oh, I'm so happy they've got my, uh, you know, we're having pizza for dinner. Or, oh, I'm so happy, happy we've got a birthday party to go to tomorrow. Um, or I'm so happy it's snowing and there's a school day, right, kids? Um, it's, it's, it's not that kind of rejoicing. It's, it's, a, it's this other kind of rejoicing. And that's important because once we realize that, we see that the vision of Proverbs 11.10 is telling us that the righteous, the sadakim, must be stewarding their prosperity in such ways in the city that really remarkable, significant, systematic changes are happening in the city. The, the righteous must be stewarding their prosperity in such a way that what I would call foretastes of the kingdom of God are being ushered in. There's, there's, people are finding a great deal of hope and, and joy. People are not being oppressed anymore. There's not, there's not violence. People are experiencing, experiencing things that elicit the response of dancing in their streets, rejoicing. Clearly, the, 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 the stewardship that's going on here by the, by the righteous is not them taking their used clothes down to the Salvation Army thrift store and some poor person walking in there and finding a $200 dress for $5 and saying, oh, I'm so happy, happy, happy. We're, we're, talking, about, we're talking about something much grander than that. And so Proverbs 11.10a raises a missional question for us as the Church of Christ. And it's appropriate to ask a missional question at local Missions Fest weekend. And, and, and the question is this, what, what level of rejoicing are we really bringing to our cities? As a result of what we're doing individually or corporately as the body of Christ, are people dancing in the streets with jubilation because of how the church has so remarkably changed the community with the amazing love of Christ? You see, Proverbs 11.10 suggests that through the intentional stewardship of our prosperity, the sadakim bring nothing less than foretaste of the kingdom of God into being. And you see, that's what missional is, is really being about. Missional is just about joining Jesus on his mission, his grand mission of bringing renewal to, to all things. 
You see, all of redemptive history is moving towards the ends which we heard read in the, in the scriptures. It's all moving towards the consummation of the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, and, and the new earth. And, and one of the ways to think about Jesus' ministry on earth was that, was that he, he kind of, his miracles and his actions, what they did was, it was like he was reaching into the fully consummated future kingdom of God and he was yanking a foretaste of it back into the present. It was always looking at Bartimaeus and he says, you know, in the new Jerusalem, there's not going to be any blindness. So Bartimaeus, I'm giving your sight today to foretaste of that coming reality. There's, there's not going to be any death in the new heavens and the new earth. So Lazarus, get up out of the grave. Jesus was a foretaste bringer. And you know what? We get to be foretaste bringers too. Jesus is calling us to participate in his in his, uh, his mission of bringing these foretastes. If we could put on the screen, the, when I talk about these foretastes, I'm, I'm talking about the things that we heard read in the scriptures. I'm, I'm talking about justice and beauty and hope and peace and intimacy with God. Face to face, God dwelling with his people. Wholeness, the creation itself blooming and blossoming. Our bodies finally being made perfectly whole relationships being healed. These are, these are foretastes of the, of the kingdom of God, and, and we get to be Jesus' instruments of bringing these, of tastes of these things, tastes of the future into the, into the present. One of the ways I like to talk about it is to suggest that, that, that what we are called to be missionally with Jesus is, is this. It's a little pink spoon. Y'all Go to Baskin-Robbins ice cream store sometimes out here. Oh, what a sad day when I learned I was lactose intolerant. <laughs> so sad. And by the way, if any of you are the people that, like, get vanilla, could you just leave right now? Because I'm sorry. 31 flavors and you're going to get vanilla? I mean, really. Come on. So you go into Baskin-Robbins and they give you the little taster spoon. And it gives you a foretaste of the ice cream to come. And that's what every one of us gets to be in our lives. We get to be people who bring foretastes of the kingdom of God and, and bring them into greater reality in our, in our world. Now, I've been talking about Proverbs 11.10 and the stewardship of our prosperity, and I want to hone in a little bit on a really important dimension of our prosperity, which is what I would call our vocational power. A huge part of our, of our prosperity is the fact that many of us have a lot of education, more than the rest of the world. Many of us uh, have received a lot of training. Um, we have more occupational or vocational choices than, than millions of people in the world. I mean, we're not destined to have to do the same job our grandfather did and his grandfather did and his grandfather did before him. As I look out at, at you... I'm sure I'm seeing people with all kinds of different skills and talents and passions, life experiences, networks, platforms, influence. Some of you are small business owners, I bet. Some of you are school teachers or lawyers or bankers or carpenters or business administrators. Some of you are artists or research uh, folks. Some of you are homemakers. Some of you are salespeople. Some of you are, are in real estate. Some of you are working in local government or, or nonprofit organizations or 
insurance. The list just goes on and on and on and on. And, and, and I want to challenge us today to think about the fact that we need to steward that vocational power and that huge part of our life, that 40% of our life that we spend doing our, our work. We talk a lot in the church about financial stewardship. God has blessed us with financial resources and we're to steward those strategically and creatively to advance his kingdom purposes. Well, we need to do the same thing with our vocations. And by the way, if you're retired, you still have vocations. You're not really retired, you're just reassigned. And you've got important talents and gifts and skills and experiences that God wants to still use. And by the way, if you're a stay-at-home parent, you have vocational power. You ain't getting paid for it, unfortunately, but you got it, and you need to steward it. I like to define vocational stewardship as the strategic and intentional deployment of all the dimensions of our vocational power. That is, the skills we have, the expertise, the knowledge, the position we may hold, the networks, the, the influence, the, the platform, etc. All of these things we did to steward well to advance foretastes of the kingdom of God. And, and at your local missions fest, I think it's really important for this church to, to, to grasp this notion of vocational stewardship. This isn't just sort of a nice little fluffy idea. This is like an essential mandatory strategy for Wheaton Bible Church to advance your work in DuPage County. Because you want to amaze people <laughs> with the love and the transformational power of God. You, you, you're, you're desiring to rejoice your city. And that's not going to happen with just little episodic, little one-time, one-off, throw some canned goods at people kind of stuff. It's going to happen through deep, long-term, relational, holistic, sacrificial ministry. It's going to be long and hard and complicated because we're talking about changing changing structures of injustice and, and poverty. We're talking about making a long-term transformational impact in a community like Timberlake Apartments. And, and so, so if we're going to rejoice the city, we've got to we got to harness all of the, the, the power and the experience and the talents of, of all the folks sitting in here. You've got to be on mission through your work. So, so what, what could that look like? What does that look like? Well, let me spend the rest of my time talking about that. I'm going to talk about how vocational stewardship gets worked out in the life of a church. I'll tell you a little story about that. And then in a little while, I'll talk about what this sort of looks like for us as individual believers. But, but first, as regards, how does this look being worked out in the life of a church? I want to tell you about a, a church in uh, Pittsburgh called Allegheny County Alliance Church. And it chose to target a particular neighborhood in the city of Pittsburgh called Northside. And it's kind of an economically transitional neighborhood. And and it really wanted to, to make a difference in that community. Much like this church has really committed over the past several years to, to the community where Puente del Pueblo is located. Well, some folks from the church actually moved into the Northside community in order to really become uh, literate and fluent in its, in its uh, promises as well as its pain. And, uh, and, and the 
pastor of the church started really preaching, like your pastor does, about being externally focused and making a difference in the community and preaching on Micah 6, 8. And after a little while, uh, some, some medical people from ACAC, um, they began to get a vision. And they said, maybe we could bring greater foretastes of, of wholeness and health to families in the Northside community. And so they started a free medical clinic out of the garage of one of the, one of the doctors. This was probably 25 years ago. It's grown over time to be the, uh, the Northside Christian Health Clinic. They see over 6,000 patients a year. Well, then uh, the, the church hired th this lady. Uh, her name is Priscilla Ortlip. She's a social worker. And they hired her to say, you know, we need, we need a good counseling ministry for the families and folks, singles here in the church. And uh, so she began a counseling ministry. And, and it wasn't that long before she began thinking about the fact that it wasn't only people within the four walls of the church that, that needed counseling and help to become emotionally and relationally whole, but there were, there were folks outside in the Northside community that also needed good counseling so she brought a dream to the church leadership and she said, what if, what if we were to gather a whole network of Christian counselors who each would agree to give a small piece of time to provide very affordably, um, very, very cost-effective affordable counseling to, to people in the Northside community. And the church said, that sounds great, let's get behind that. And they developed something called the Christian Counselors Collaborative. The next slide is a, a picture of a gal that... <laughs> It's a real trip. I've gotten to meet her. Her name is Nikki Heckman, and she's a chef. She attended ACAC for about five years as a seeker, and she sort of self-defines as a, as a younger brother type. And uh, she tells funny stories about being at ACAC and being a real irritant to the, uh, to the church leadership because she would always throw all these really impossible, weird theological questions at them and you know, try to put them on the spot and stuff. But you know, the folks at ACAC just kept loving, just kept loving Chef Nikki with the love of, of Jesus, the amazing love of Jesus. And after about five years, Nikki finally said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my life to Christ. So she, uh, she goes to the pastor. I've become a, I've become a Christian, so I guess, I guess, what's next? I guess I go to seminary, right? And then I start working here in the church for you, Right? And, uh, and he looked at her, and by, very wisely, he said, you know, Nikki, you're a chef, and you've, you've opened restaurants and run restaurants, you know. Why don't you think about how you could be a, a chef making a difference for the kingdom of God? And she said, oh, thank goodness, like the thought of actually having to stay with working inside. I don't want to be inside. I want to be out there on the streets with my peeps, all the other younger brothers out there. I want to be telling them about Jesus. So she had a dream and a vision to start a new restaurant in the Northside community. It took a lot of, a lot of risk and a lot of faith. I mean, who builds, who builds, a, who builds a, you know, a restaurant in a neighborhood that's kind of sketchy, frankly? But she was willing to do that, and the church got behind her. They actually provided financial assistance uh, for her for several months as she did the hard work of building this new restaurant called Bistro to Go. And it went really well. And God prospered it, and she started another restaurant called Bistro Soul, and she's recently started a third little restaurant. She's got three things, these catering services. And now Nikki Heckman employs 46 people from the Northside community that needed jobs. 
and she teaches cooking classes to low-income moms so that they can learn how to cook healthy food on a really low budget. And, and she's such a winsome <clears throat> evangelist to folks that come in and uh, in, into, the, into the restaurant. One of the things I like the best about ACAC is the work that they've done to advance real foretastes of justice in their community. Um, some, t- some years ago, probably it's been about five or six years now, the pastor was literally giving a sermon on Micah 6-8. And uh, these two guys, if you put the next slide up, these two guys, Dan Krebs and Tony Wiles, were sitting in the pews listening to this sermon on Micah 6-8, and the, the pastor was talking about a particular kind of injustice that was plaguing the North Side neighborhood, and it's the injustice of payday lending. Maybe some of you have seen some of these payday lending stores. It talks about cash advances and loans. And uh, let, me, let me just briefly explain how that works. But let's say you're a working poor person, you're a single mom, you've got a couple of different jobs, and, and uh, something terrible goes wrong with your car. You know, the transmission falls out or something. I mean, I don't know if that, I don't know anything about cars, so maybe transmissions like can't fall out. But anyway, there, there is. Your transmission's just dragging along there, you know? And uh, you need 500 bucks to get it fixed or you're not going to be able to get to work. Well, you don't have 500 extra dollars. You don't have $500 in a savings account. You don't have $500 sitting under your bed. You don't have friends that have an extra $500. You don't have family that have an extra $500. And you need to get that car fixed because you're living paycheck to paycheck. And if you lose that job, you're toast. So a person like that walks into a payday lending store and they say, hey, no problem. Within 24 hours, we can get you $500 of cash. Not a big deal. No credit check. Just pay us back in two weeks when you get your next paycheck. But see, in the fine print, it talks about how you have to pay the whole thing back in one lump sum. Plus, you know, the interest that they charge on it. Well, most people that don't have an extra 500 bucks on the first of the month don't magically have an extra $500 on the 15th of the month either. So they go back into the, into the payday lending store and they say, well, I don't have the whole amount, but I've got $100. Can I, you know, make a payment toward it? And they say, oh, no, sorry, that's not the way it, it works here, Ms. Jones. Um, but don't worry. We'll just roll your loan over, and it'll be due in another two weeks. Well, of course, there's a big rollover fee that gets attached to that. Well, to make a long story short, the average person rolls their loan over seven, eight, nine times. And when you figure out the annualized interest rate that folks are paying on payday loans nationally, it averages out to 417% interest. So people get sucked into a debt trap because their transmission fell out of their car. And, and, and Dan Krebs and Tony Wiles are sitting there listening to this. And Dan, is a, he's the finance manager at a local car dealership. He's a numbers guy. And he looks at Tony and he says, this is crazy. Why can't the church come up with some sort of alternative so that people that have this situation can come to us and they can get the cash that they need and we can figure out how they can pay that loan back over, over time? It's not rocket science, he says. And it's not rocket science. And so they did it. Church got really behind it. They formed a, a nonprofit called Grace Period. They've helped over 4,000 people in the north side neighborhood. They basically take out a loan and they just pay it back in little installments over a very long period of time, a year, year and a half, whatever it takes. I think the ACAC story says to, to, says to your church, 
Um, if you want to amaze DuPage County with, with the love and the transforming power of God, let, let's, let's think about how you can creatively draw upon all of the different and manifold talents and experiences and skills and, and influence and networks of all of you folks sitting there. What ACAC's done is basically support a whole bunch of what we call social entrepreneurs who have uh, launched these new initiatives, some for-profit, some non-profit, that are bringing foretastes of health, of hope, of economic sufficiency, of justice in their community. So that's kind of what vocational stewardship can look like lived out in the life of a whole church, but, but it can also look like vocational stewardship lived out in the lives of lots of the individuals in the church. And so my second and final application involves inviting you to consider um, a question that they'll put up here on the screen. And that's the question, um, how could I leverage my current vocational power right now in the job I have as a school teacher, as a business person, as a stay-at-home mom, <laughs> as a retired person who's been reassigned to volunteer their skills, as a banker, as an architect? How could I leverage my current vocational power to, uh, to advance these foretastes of the kingdom of God in my sector of, of society? How do, how do I be a pink spoon in the world of art or fashion or media or business or whatever sector I'm in? And how can my work, how could, how could I leverage my job to advance Wheaton Bible Church's local mission right here in DuPage County? Well, I think part of the way that that can happen is the church can get behind, as the story with ACAC indicated, can, can get behind these social entrepreneurs who sort of start up new things. But the church can also really get behind and affirm and equip what, what Tim Keller calls strategic intrapreneurs, people who stay right within their current jobs, but they begin to look at their nine-to-five life in a new, fresh, missional way where they're asking, how do I get to participate in my sector, in my work, in my workplace to advance the kingdom of God and, and specifically to advance the mission of this church? So well, what would that look like practically? Let me give you a few examples. Let's suppose you're a scientist at a local research laboratory for a pharmaceutical company. Or let's suppose that you're a, a CPA at a, at a local accounting firm. And maybe where you work, they have some sort of a job shadowing program where young people get to come for a day or a week and sort of explore that career option. Well, well what about really looking at that program at your, at your office and, and asking who's benefiting from it? Are the, are the high-achieving but low-income refugee kids that this church is reaching, are they benefiting from that program? Are the high-achieving but low-income Hispanic gals that are living in Timberlake apartments, can they get connected to that, to that program? Is there some young Latina person that's great at science and she could be job shadowing or, or some refugee kid from Ethiopia or Burma who's really great with numbers? You could talk to your, you could talk to your program there at your job and, and try to make sure that it could could begin to benefit people that maybe aren't yet connected to it. Or, or imagine this. Uh, suppose you're a, uh, the owner or, a, or an employee at a retail store. 
this church supports a variety of local ministries um, and probably now or in the future some of them are going to be involved in different job training type initiatives and maybe some of those job training initiatives are going to have people actually creating new products and you might have the opportunity to suggest that the store that you work for or the store that you own should sell the products that are made by these people in a, in a job training program. Or maybe you're a, maybe you're a stay-at-home soccer mom. I was just talking to somebody after the previous church uh, service who said, I'm, I'm friends with one of the refugee families that Wheaton Bible has come alongside. They've got five kids, and they're all not so crazy about soccer. Well, I can't get five different kids to all their soccer matches. Well, how about enfolding one of those kids into your family and into your regular soccer life and letting that kid tag along with you? What if you work for a company that has a volunteerism program where they go out and serve different nonprofits in the community for a day? Well, make sure that the nonprofits that this church is involved with get connected to that. Maybe you're a gardener. How about expanding the size of your garden and growing fresh produce deliberately so that you can give it to the, to the food box program that happens through this church? If you are a supervisor, you have the opportunity to hire people. What about hiring people that need a second chance at a job? If you're working in local government, what can you be doing to bring to the attention of local policymakers the kinds of issues that are the most relevant and pressing for the mission work that this church is attempting to do among Hispanic and, and immigrant and refugee populations? You see, in all of these different ways, you have the opportunity to advance foretaste of the kingdom of God, to see your job as your, as your mission. Our amazing God, who is an amazing God of love, is on an amazing mission of love to bring transformation, the kind of transformation that brings foretaste of the kingdom of God that makes people rejoice and dance in the city. He's on an amazing mission. And he's invited us amazingly, <laughs> with all of our foibles and sinfulness. He's, he's invited us to join him on that mission. So I just encourage you, get on board with it and find that you can have an amazing sense of purpose and meaning and an amazing walk of joy with this God of transformational love. Thank you so much.